Welcome guys to another YouTube Live. Today we're going to be talking about the holsters, the main product that we sell and the products that got T-Rex arms started. I want to give a real quick history. We're actually going to do some dry fire. I've got a shot timer here and I'm actually going to show you guys how some of these holsters work, do some uh, draws from concealment, also put on a belt and so possibly show some reloads, some other things like that. We've got multiple cameras set up. But I've got light compatible holsters, suppressor holsters, a lot of different lights, a bunch of different stuff. I actually have more Ragnaroks here uh, than I have sidecars. We'll talk through all the little specifics on those. But real fast, I want to talk about some of the history. So I started the company back in 2013. Before that, I was playing with Kydex. A few weird little designs. The first thing I was actually making was a rifle mag carrier that was actually positioned lower on the leg. Uh, I was finding that was a little faster than drawing a magazine all the way up here on my belt, although now that's basically what I do. And it wasn't until my fire chief asked, hey, could you make a holster for my Glock 17? Because I know you're kind of like doing some Kydex-y stuff. And I said, sure. And so I made this abomination. Uh, at the time, I had some foam that I literally st uh, stood on. Uh, so I had a, his Glock. I didn't have a blue. Actually, no, I think I went and bought a blue gun. Uh, I didn't have his gun. I had a blue gun. I put the Kydex over it. I literally stood on my press, which was two pieces of really cheap foam. I didn't have the nice fancy stuff. And then I took a hacksaw because I didn't have a bandsaw. And I had to chop all around here. I did have a grommet press because I needed that for the mag carriers I was making on eBay. And then I kind of built this out. I didn't know to fill in the ejection port, so the retention on this was super tight. Um, in fact, I do have a pistol here, a standard Glock. Yep, here we go. Good to go. And uh, there's a piece of paper in here. It's probably got like, yeah, it says first holster ever or whatever. The retention on this is, oh, I guess I loosened it up. But originally, it was extremely tight because of the ejection port right here. And I think I went in there with a hairdryer and actually loosened it up. Granted, this was a long time ago. But there were other little mistakes that I made. I had the Kydex cover the trigger guard here, so very uncomfortable to draw. But it was actually within about a month that he uh, came home. There was a guy inside of his house, and he actually drew down on the guy, called 911, and this is the holster he was wearing for that. So that was pretty cool. But I started making holsters because I realized, hey, holsters are pretty fun to make. Uh, I won't just focus on mag carriers. And then I started thinking about T-Rex arms and building the website, and the rest is history, and here we are today. But we've gone from making things like this, uh, which was obviously a very crummy you know, crude design to something as technologically superior as the Ragnarok, which is a very cost-effective, very durable, outside the waistband holster that is extremely modular with all these little holes on the back, and we will talk more about that. But the main product that really launched the company uh, was actually the Sidecar, a one-piece holster that is dedicated for Penix Carry that gives you a spare magazine, and it's all, all in one system. And the reason I was working on this it actually started out, we went through like 10 different revisions, but it started out looking something like this, where I had the mag carrier was sort of bolted on to the holster itself. And this was kind of the sidecar at the time, but this didn't really become a thing until I decided to fuse them both together. This was very similar to obviously uh, the NCOG G-code was doing it at the time. But the problem with it is you've got a lot of rickety stuff going on. You've got screws that can come loose and it's just not very appealing and it also wasn't very effective. There were some things I could get away with by actually fusing everything together, angling the magazine away, getting the magazine a little bit closer. And this is what kind of uh, really launched the company because it was a product that nobody else was really making. Nobody else had, um, nobody else had really uh, improved the design overall of an appendix holster, at least in my opinion, um, at least with a spare magazine. And then they were able to do that. And my goal with this holster was, because I was like 21, 22, is I wanted a holster that would allow me to carry a full-size handgun, a service gun, 
with a weapon line and an extra magazine every day, all day, seven days a week. Doesn't matter if it's summer, doesn't matter if it's winter, I'm good to go. And that really awesome thing is most people go through a lot of holsters in their time trying to find like the best concealment holster. I mean, I've got a few, you know, before T-Rex was a thing, I had like a Blackhawk, everyone has a Blackhawk. I didn't have an Uncle Mike's though. Uh, and then there was like one other holster, but this is the holster that I run. I run a sidecar. I really don't use other holsters unless I'm filming specific content for my carry. This is what I've used for the past six years, uh, five years that it's really been out there and it's been improved. Actually, it's more like four years because it really wasn't until then that was really solid and is when I really started to use it. And I don't see myself switching holsters away from a design like this uh, from our sidecar. So that's what's really cool. Uh, we sell these to a lot of units. We have a bunch of units in SOCOM that uh, purchase these because obviously a lot of the stuff going on right now is all low viz. Um, so we get orders through some of the, uh, the middlemen like ADS, Quantico, and people like that. If you guys know how the purchasing works in the military, uh, they then go through us, use all their GSA rubbish, and then uh, place their orders. Or we just get GPCs. But very cool product, and it's the one that I wear all the time. And I've got mine on for a TLR7, but more on that later. Uh, but I actually want to bring uh, my older brother Isaac in because... Uh, prior to Isaac coming on board, we were making everything very traditionally. We had foam that we were pressing the holster with, and Isaac actually got brought in to, I guess I shall stand. <laughs> what? Yeah. But um, before, before um, Isaac came in, we were doing everything traditionally with foam presses and, and clamps, obviously. Mm -hmm. and, but we were talking about, hey, well, let's get into CNC. Let's get CNC routers, vacuum forming. And at the time, I actually wasn't in, I, I liked what I knew. I didn't understand CNC stuff, and I was like, eh, I don't want to do that. But my older brother, David, who's the CFO of the company, was like, no, the numbers are there. We don't understand it. That's why Isaac will come in, and he will be the wise one. He'll be the smart one. He'll figure it out, and it'll be awesome. And that's what happened. Isaac came in. He uh, figured out how to do it, code it, build the, built the first one. Uh, we never named it. At least I don't know of a name. Yeah. Did you name it? Mm -hmm. Phyllis? No, it's just, it, it was ShopBot 1, but it's kind of been replaced. Yeah, we've got a few now, and I, I want to name them. Now they're colors. There's like green, blue, red, I like pink. I let James pick the colors. Oh, you let James yeah. pick the colors. Primary oh, colors. Okay. Well, yeah. They have colors, little lights. Green. Who puts the lights underneath them? The, the I do. The, oh, you do? Oh, that's yeah. fun. I do it at night. I walked in one day. Here. It was pretty cool. Um, but he started working on creating this product. Um, I had just made a similar product using 125 because I was like, this flimsy 0.08 Kydex, which is basically what all standard holsters are made in, like the sidecar right here. I wanted an outside the waistband holster that was a little thicker, a little more durable, so I made what I called the Mongoose. I don't have one here. I have oh, mine I was somewhere. Ask if anyone could remember the name. Now it's too late. Uh, if you guys remember the name of the first weird holster I made, um, you get kudos points. Does it start with um, an F? No, before that. Oh. Way before that. All right. I was very cool. I only made like 40 of them. Um, a couple of them did go overseas. A couple of them did break. And uh, the design has since you know what? gone away. You know so. what we have not done in a long time? What? Battle damage. <laughs> yeah, so actually, I just remembered this but. earlier. I actually worked on some holsters. So when I came in, all the holsters were pretty much designed. Uh, except for the Ragnarok. And I put a lot of design into the Ragnarok. But I actually worked at T-Rex briefly during a Black Friday, oh, and I yeah. buffed a yeah. whole bunch of Raptors, and I set a record for most seconds oh, created, which is why to this day I'm not allowed to buff, but one of the seconds that I made, I took home and has been one of my main Raptors oh, for a sweet. while. So yeah, these historic, cool. these historic holsters are super cool. <laughs> I need to go and collect more of them, and yeah. uh, I need to look for more of them. I don't have like the first, actually I know where the first Ragnarok 
holster that I ran appendix was because uh, it was modular back then. Um, yeah, I but that. it was not great. So, talk real quick about some of the the manufacturing that oh, goes sure. into the Ragnarok. Obviously, well now now we're seeing seeing sidecars as well, certain and ones, the popular ones, and the Raptors. So yes. the process is now being used widely. We still have but the foam. Uh, we still have the foam production on blue. Traditional, that's what we call it. We call it traditional manufacturing, but we do a lot Be of stuff on custom. CNC. And there's actually a bunch of videos on the YouTube channel showing how we scan guns. Uh, with a 3D scanner, we build a 3D model, we cut that 3D model out of plastic, we vacuum form the Kydex directly onto the plastic, then we put it on the CNC machine and drill and cut it out. And that gives us a very consistent um, result. Step this way. And it's actually pretty go. pretty quick. They were saying you don't have a mic, but it's because <coughs> ah, the mics are aimed this I'm way. I'm also quieter than you. It's probably my rain intake is super low. <laughs> well, that's the first one today. <laughs> I actually didn't so, start uh, drinking it for the meeting, and I should have. But anyway, so. So so that's that's how we make all of these now. And we started with the Ragnaroks. The Ragnarok was the first thing that we made on the CNC machine. And then we started making sidecars on the CNC machine. And uh, we're able to improve certain things. Once we were able to make our own molds uh, and vacuum form on them, we were able to make uh, better shapes. But we are also able to get better definition. And so that improved a bunch of things. Um, although I've noticed that traditional guys have been very cool. A lot of the traditional molds are permablocked with epoxy. Yeah. And they use the milling machines to make stuff. great, beautiful shapes on those. So Our, the, very, very nice. Basically, and when he says traditional, it's obviously what most holster companies, are, a lot of them are still doing is foam. You put the gun in. You put two pieces of Kydex on like cheese because it gets melted. And then you squish the foam down. You wait 10 minutes. You open it up. That's traditional. And the benefit of traditional uh, taking blue guns or some of the newer uh, molds out there is you could be a little more flexible for mm -hmm. us. What? Let's talk numbers real quick. Uh, let's not talk average, numbers. Average, average. How long does it take? Because people ask in here, they're like, why oh, don't yes. you make a Ragnarok for the FNX something in left-handed for yes. this? What? With no light what, kind of thing. What's the process look like to go make a mold and scan the gun and test the mold and cut the mold and cut a new one and cut a new one and modify it's one and actually, cut one? What's the process average? Because I know it changes per gun. Some are worse, some are better, some are... So I can make a prototype. <clears throat> this is a prototype. This is... Do you want to say what this is? He just leaked it! It's a TLR9, This is a TLR9 Ragnarok. That was super quick because it's really similar to the TLR7. Yes. So making a new yes. mold involved very little Just 3D design Just lengthening the light. Thank That's basically it. I Thankfully, really Streamlight was smart in this regard. I really like Streamlight. Light is extremely uh, ugly. But yeah. so you basically Glock 34 cool. it. That is very cool. Uh, I, I actually actually like that thing, even though it looks hilariously wrong. I've taken it to the range for two weeks now. I haven't used it. I think I think you like it too. But no, anyway, no, I, no, I will. But yeah, it's super, uh, super making making the model is um, a few hours. Cutting a mold takes about an hour and a half. And the fact is that making a prototype and even making the prototype work well is pretty quick. Like that can happen in a few days. The time-consuming part is getting all of that stuff ready for mass production. So yes, making a prototype that works and fiddling with it and using the heat gun to straighten it out and like cutting it with a hacksaw. That can be done in a couple of days. Yep. So we had prototypes of this guy pretty early on. Um, XVL2? Yeah. Because you wanted that. Uh, well, there were some, there were some people <laughs> that yeah, uh, needed a little bit Yeah, but let's be honest. You wanted the players. I wanted it too, but they needed it as well, <laughs> and they did get them, and uh, that was great. So prototypes were fast, but getting to where, yeah, like making, making a holster in a few hours is not that big a deal. 
The issue is we want to be able to make hundreds of holsters in a short amount of time and make sure that all of them work. And so getting the machines dialed in and the molds dialed in and everything to be consistent is the time consuming part. So that is why every model takes uh, a few weeks and there's usually a bunch of stuff in development. In fact, uh, there's this guy, this guy's in development. There's, uh, there's other things in development that are uh, in development. So. No, actually, but yes. So yeah, the RAG SD is a very fun project. We actually, yes. so the RAG SD is our longest tested product. We probably had, <laughs> Over a year we probably had the final mold for about a year uh, of testing before we actually put it on the site. I think that may be the record. Yes, no, I ran the Ragnarok SD for a very long time uh, in very primitive form. There were some videos actually running it where we didn't show the holster, but I was obviously drawing a suppressed pistol and, and everyone was like, oh my goodness. Um, so that actually happened for uh, quite a while and then finally we were able to make it because there was other stuff that came up. But basically, at the end of the day, there's obviously, there's a lot of guns out there, mm -hmm. uh, unique configurations, unique lights. There's new companies making lights. And the problem with the holster side for us is to make a mold for a Ragnarok or a sidecar, if we're going to CNC it, is many days of multiple holster engineers time, plus going through the whole process, plus putting it on the website. So to, as from a company numbers, it's right here, from a company. Looking for another can. Um, that's the only one I have here, but the, and the only one set for left-hand thread. Um, so for a company to take the numbers and go, is it worth it to spend, let's just say $10,000 to make this mold? We have to have 20, 30, $40,000 worth of profit or gross yeah. customers to justify that expense. I'm just giving rough arbitrary it's numbers, kind of rough. but you guys kind of get the point. Like I can't go make a holster for a... Canic with an XVL2 left-handed that two people in the world actually own and dump 10, 15, whatever, however much money you want to put into it, into that mold. It doesn't make sense from a business perspective, which is why we can't make holsters for every configuration out there. I completely but, agree with you, but occasionally we make exceptions. Occasionally we make exceptions if it's a gun or a thing that we really like and we hope that in the future it will get bigger or maybe we try to help it get bigger because it's something we use, something we want to use, something, something we're going like, to sell um, perhaps. Maybe if it's a historical item like the that, browning. Too. Like uh, the high power, we high don't cool. we don't sell. We don't, what all holsters do we make the high, for the high power? Everything, the Raptor, I think we do everything. But the Ragnarok, and we the, don't and need units. But it no, is but it's, a cool platform. It it's is worth the loss. To, uh, of it's important to understand where firearms yes. have come from, and being able to train with some of the older ones is very fascinating to see the way this stuff has improved. The incremental improvement one of firearms is neat. I was going to shoot one, although I haven't shot my high power very much. But yeah, so the Rag SD. Super cool. Uh, currently only made for the uh, X300, but it is one of the only, at least in my opinion, suppressor holsters that you can actually run around and run a gun with. There's a few companies making them. The problem is, and what I didn't like about them, is the gun could just fall out or tip forward. Um, but we've done a couple things to this holster. A very modular retention where I can actually run full sprints with this, shoot around barriers, shoot around cars, and the gun doesn't jettison. And there have been a couple units that have actually ordered these uh, for their guys to have for very, very specific stuff. Um, I don't, I don't know when I would actually want to run one of these and be like, yeah, I'm totally going to need a suppressed pistol for this thing. Cool. Well, need sure. Cool. But then what you want is two of them. Oh, that would require a lefty. It would require a lefty. Well, yeah. That's so. something that you will have pretty soon. 
You just said it. <laughs> so anyway, so as far as holster production goes, there's a lot of things that we're currently working on. Mm -hmm. uh, new Ragnaroks, new availability uh, for certain models out there. When a new gun comes out, it's actually pretty cool. It's taken us a little while, but firearms manufacturers are starting to realize that we're a player in the game. So when there are new handguns that are getting made by some of the big companies, they actually are starting to send us the handguns early, obviously under NDAs. So we can look at them. And there have been a couple we've gotten in recent months where we received a firearm and literally were like, this gun sucks. We're wow. not going to make a holster for it yeah. because the That's gun itself exactly is pretty lame. We said. We More said or the, less. We said the gun doesn't fit our target audience. It doesn't fit the target audience because it sucks. Um, but then there's been other guns we've gotten and been very excited about and very quickly started you know, 3D, uh, scanning the gun, 3D, you know, getting the molds all done, getting all ready for it so that the, the holster is ready at when the handgun actually launches. But, so it has been pretty cool that firearms companies are starting to recognize, hey, if a hand, if we want our handgun to do well, people are going to need the support gear for it, holsters mm -hmm. and other things, because there have been handguns that have come out that because they didn't have the support, people didn't buy them. And so the company then has to either can the weapon or just not make as many. And then it's just yeah. not a successful product. So, and, and we're not the only holster company no. where this happens. But you were talking uh, on your live a while back about why we got an FFL and why we got an SOT. Yes. This is actually one of the reasons. It's very easy to get guns now. If, if you have an FFL, uh, a prototype gun can be sent to you. If you call up a major gun manufacturer and ask if they will send a prototype weapon through your local FFL, they will say no. Yeah. Because pictures of the gun will <laughs> well, be taken. They will get leaked. Uh, police departments have actually leaked uh, photos of guns they were testing. The Glock, uh, one of those new Glocks from a few years ago, yeah. the police department actually leaked the photos or someone in the department did. So like that thing, that kind of thing does happen. But being able to have guns sent directly to us has helped with planning some different things. Yep. Um, I know Walther has sent us some guns, like this dude right here, um, and so we're working on some things. That's oh, and that's uh, actually on the site. That's finished. You can buy that. Yeah. Oh, and this is too. The Staccato. Although actually, we went and we actually went and picked this up somewhere. We didn't have this oh, yeah. shipped no, we, in. Oh yeah. We bought that. Which I don't know what to think about these yet. I mean, I do know what to think. But You've not. shot other people's. I just you haven't shot I've, that one. I've only shot the Staccato series at like events where it's like take the gun and shoot some plates, and it's just like one magazine. It worth. feels super nice, I, but I I have my dry fire to shooting ratio on many weapon platforms is ridiculously high. There's a ton of guns I've never shot. But I drive. But you've dry fired on way more than I have. <laughs> probably one, you've, you've probably handled this one a lot more than me. Yeah. It's part of part of design. The grip feels we really good. We got a too. question on yes. uh, how we came up with this angle for the thumb. As you draw, your thumb just falls right here, and how we came up with that idea. It just a lot of, of science, a lot well, of testing, uh, if your thousands of hours uh, bringing in test subjects, guinea pigs. Um, it's actually just a my lot. Thumb. Just my thumb. So we the have a couple of test thumbs now. We have some other guys. In so uh, the I, the idea behind having some height there um, was for uh, reholstering to some extent. Mm -hmm. uh, generally, when I'm reholstering into one of these Ragnaroks, and I'll demo that here in a little bit, um, is I usually am scooping with the light. The light hits the holster before the gun does, but it does prevent having this raised part in the back. Does prevent me from pushing the gun obviously into my body as I'm going to holster. Um, it also gives a little bit of aesthetic, but it is just kind of. It's just nice. Do you put your thumb on the side no. or over the sights? Um, Do you always draw over the sights? No, so I actually hover. Uh, where's my main gun? I mean, it doesn't really matter. My main gun, here you are. I actually kind of hover like way out like this yeah. uh, when I actually do it. If I draw from concealment, that's when I actually 
throw my thumb on top of the sights and I'll demo and talk about that here in a little bit. I so. would demo also, but I can't because I no longer have a six pack. Yeah, so, and I've got like a 50 pack, so I can demo. It comes from the rain. Yeah, yeah it's, it is. It's actually a one pack. So, but anyway, with that said, I'll actually go ahead and demo some of the stuff and I'll get back probably to the comments. And uh, answer some questions potentially on some other things. Yeah, no, I can't stop talking because. Unless I talk a lot. I'm also uh, streaming later tonight, so I have to talk for a lot of today. But anyway, so real fast. Sidecar holster, our flagship product. We get a lot of questions on how to draw from appendix. It is actually really cool to see the cultural shift in appendix carry. When we started with the sidecar a few years ago selling it, and then I was doing a lot of videos with it, there were a lot of comments from people going like, oh, that's unsafe, you're going to shoot yourself. Um, we see a lot less of that now because people are... Uh, it's been normalized to a point where when people see it, appendix carry is now a normal way to carry a firearm. It's as normal as 4 o'clock. It's as normal as strong side. Carrying right here in the front is now seen, at least by a large group of people, as normal. So it's a really cool example of how normalization works that companies, organizations, individuals, influencers, celebrities, and whatnot can actually have on affecting what, how people see an item or a thing. So real fast on drawing from concealment. So first thing, going to dechamber the weapon. Uh, this is a 124 spear, hollow point, whatever, because I'm sure someone is going to ask. I'll ditch that. I don't mind having live ammo around. I just have to, you know, pay attention, and I'll get rid of this bullet. So empty extendo clip, and then I've got my 15-round mag for the gun. So big thing with carrying appendix, I have a TLR7 sidecar. This is my carry gun. It's been my carry gun for the past few years. Uh, running the TLR7 because it's a little more compact, a little more comfortable, and it's actually very effective. I did a video. It's on the product page for this, actually talking about it, showing it. You guys can get more info there. But uh, this little setup, super comfortable, super convenient. Uh, when I'm not running the TLR7, I generally run an X300 in a holster like this. This is one of our uh, quick ship sidecars. But I want to go over drawing from concealment as far as efficiency goes. Because obviously, drawing a gun from concealment is literally as easy as get the shirt out of the way and draw the gun. However, and I'll step back because I think we have some other cameras. There's a couple things we can do to make the process a little more efficient. So, two-handed draw. Big thing for me is I like to grab my shirt, whatever I'm wearing, in a consistent spot. So for me, it's in between my magazine and the gun itself. So it's gonna be right here in the sort of pocket that is created by my magazine and the gun. So a consistent spot every time. I bring the gun up my chest, not all the way up to my chin, but I bring it up high enough that regardless of what shirt I am wearing, I'm going to be uh, pulling the shirt all the way up away from the gun. If I'm wearing like, I've seen people grab like down low by the belt, but the problem is if you're wearing a longer shirt or something for whatever reason, and you go to here, your shirt is still covering the gun and that's obviously gonna be a problem. So I wanna grab somewhere that's gonna allow the shirt to actually be out of the way because ultimately that's what needs to happen. So in between sight and magazine, Hand placement on the gun. So there's a couple, there's a couple uh, methodologies here. I subscribe to the methodology of my thumb is actually going to be on top of the slide itself. I'm not going to try to scoot past all of my skin to actually get that high tang grip around behind the beaver tail of the pistol. Reason for this is it's a lot less consistent as far as having a uh, good grip on the pistol to begin with. And if I all of a sudden after Thanksgiving put on some extra you know, poundage, which for me is basically impossible, um, that's going to cause some other issues as well. So what I like to do is, hand, thumb goes right on top of the uh, slide sights of the gun. When I draw the pistol from the holster, I'm going to come up to about where my hand is. At this point, I will then let go of my shirt, 
start building my grip right here and then present the gun and I'm set and I'm good to go. Big thing is making sure I'm still holding the shirt out of the way. I've seen some people when they draw, they like flick the shirt and let go and then the shirt literally falls back over the gun before they've even had time to actually, you know, get onto the gun and grab it. So what I like to do is hold the shirt, gun comes up and I have the gun just like that. Shirt comes up, grip meets and I'm set. Where's the shot timer? We're gonna time this slightly. Now I don't I haven't practiced this in a while, but this is something that's really good that you can do with dry fire. I'm simply going to comment I, section. Oh. What? So what I'm going to do is I'm simply going to on the buzzer draw and pick. I'm gonna pinpoint a place here in the shop, a small refined aiming area that I want to shoot. And because I have a red dot, I can actually really tell what's going on with my trigger press because I can see my dot flash low and left, low and right, low, or bounce up and down. Uh, having a red dot actually really helps with your trigger management because you can be really um, be really specific and really see what's going on and kind of uh, analyze what's up. So I have a very small little thing on my Gallo Tech over there I'm going to aim for. I'm going to go for 80%. It's just going to be a consistent draw. I'm going to press out. I'm going to then take one press from the wall and we're going to see what happens. I'm going to brighten it up. I have a delay. I'm good. Brought the gun down. <laughs> I mean, I actually immediately went to a, a tap rack because I didn't get a shot. Do it again. 80%. Shirt, top of slide, grip, on the wall. So real simple, real refined. Nothing too crazy. Shirt, top of slide, kind of hit the belt there with my finger, and I'm set. Now I'll go a little faster, a little faster. I'm set. So that's about a second. It's not crazy fast. I used to be faster. I don't do a whole lot of uh, sidecar, appendix carry, concealment stuff. I'm still right at a second for a shot. I'm happy with it. I'm consistent with it. That's really cool. As far as reloading goes, pretty self-explanatory. Again, I'm going to have to get the shirt out of the way. When I take that shot, I'm at slide lock, and I'm set, just like that. Again, it's something, just like everything, it's going to require practice, but the sidecar is an extremely fast holster. Um, and uh, there's a lot of really cool dudes that are running them. They go all over the world, and uh, it's pretty awesome. Big question I see people ask, can you put this over here? The answer is no. That would be stupid. For one, why would I want my gun positioned where I have a magazine in front of it? That does not make any sense whatsoever, even though I know a bunch of drop like holsters are sold with a magazine there. One reason for that is if you're running a shield and you obviously have to do a one-handed manipulation, you can stow that into your holster and then the magazine is right here where you can grab that magazine, insert it into the pistol while still holding onto the shield. But since I don't carry around a shield in public, uh, I don't need that benefit. So no, you do not wear a sidecar here. You do not wear a sidecar like this. You wear it in the front and that's how you wear an appendix carry holster. Uh, as far as appendix carry holsters go, there is something that I see people asking. Um, they're like, do I wear it over my leg or do I wear it center? For me at least, it's been most comfortable wearing it center. If you wear the holster, if you have like a standard, um, like this Raptor right here, if you wear it over your leg, that starts to get uncomfortable when you start sitting and doing stuff. For me, I want my gun literally center with my body, at least the slide. I found that to be most consistent with actually, excuse me, drawing the pistol, but then also the actual comfort itself of the weapon. Now, if you will excuse me, I'm gonna put on a belt off camera for reasons. Don't ask why. Because I think we're done. So, right, just, just cover it up. Okay, so, 
You don't see anything. You saw nothing. Right, Charles? You didn't show you didn't show the camera angle of anything? No. Good. Alright. We don't need any premature product leaks at this time. Even though we've already leaked at least one product. Maybe two. And maybe one. Alright, so our next product, the next big product, because obviously we have the sidecar real fast. Any questions on the sidecar? Let's uh um so run uh, yep, yep, yep. Yeah, there's a lot of companies making sidecar style holsters now. You've got um, I won't list all the names. You guys know who they are. Uh, I mean, you got Standard Co. You got Tier One. You got there's a bunch of folks out there. Uh, Tenacore. Um, who else? There's a bunch of people. They all have their own little little thing about it. Uh, but it's great. Real quick, let's see if we got any sidecar questions. Can you do a sidecar from the back? No. Why would I? Again, this would go back to it makes no sense having a holster back, a, mag, a gun back here, and a magazine back here. Uh, small the back carry is very problematic for a lot of reasons. Uh, we spend a lot of our time sitting and carrying in the small of your back. It's basically inaccessible while I drive a vehicle. It's inaccessible while I sit at my desk. Um, there's really no benefit to carrying small the back at almost any time. Plus, it's very easy to be disarmed from that area. As a backup gun, absolutely, because I have obviously room on my belt to carry extra weapons. Uh, but small the back carry is something I would... <sighs> I don't think I would ever recommend it, ever, unless, maybe if you were doing a lot of prone work, like you're a tunnel rat or something, and you're like on your belly, like maybe then, and if you're carrying a backup. I think those are the only times I would actually recommend small to back carry. Otherwise, no, I do not recommend it. Deagle sidecar, perhaps, perhaps, in future. Um, let's see. Um, handgun, appendix carry, and left. Yeah, so appendix, there's a few different ways. Uh, obviously, I like having a one-piece setup where I have the gun and the magazine. It's just very convenient taking it on, taking it off. Oh, as far as bathroom stuff goes, because I know everyone always asks. Um, what I do is I take the holster off because it's most easiest. Um, that's one reason why I really like these clips. Uh, I'm not having to undo loops and do a bunch of crazy stuff. Uh, I use a stall if I can. Uh, the other option is if it is a urinal, what I do, depending on where I'm at, not like in an airport where there's no like dividers, that would be stupid, plus it's an airport, I literally just under the arm. And I've never had anyone see it. Um, if anyone did, uh, we're here in the South at least, don't think it would be a problem. I mean, it's in a bathroom and then just put it back on. But it's really not that hard. People seem to really blow it out of proportion. They're like, well, if I can't go to the bathroom, I'm not going to buy the holster. And I'm like, it's going to the bathroom. Like, it's not that complicated. If going to the bathroom is hard for you, you got some other issues you need to work out in your life before you potentially think about firearms. But that's how I feel about it. So really simple. Take it off. Use a stall. You're good to go. There's two clips. Really easy. But that's what I like about this. It's a one-piece one uh, setup, so I don't have to worry about magazines and stuff. But, yeah, one option is, you know, I could do a, uh, you know, one of these guys. I could do a... Uh, I could do one of these, a Mars carrier or, or, or a quick ship or, or uh, what's it called, Micromag. And I could actually run a, my spare magazine over here or I could run a Neomag, have it in my pocket or just throw the mag in my pocket um, and do something like that. Again, it's all whatever you want to do, however you want to do it. I've sometimes had my sidecar with my magazine and then a spare mag in my pocket if I'm going somewhere like really odd or weird. Um, so that's always an option as well. So, but going back down, going back down. Scrolling. I'm just going all the way down because like I am, whoo, my. Um, uh, will the TLR7 fit a sidecar for TLR1? Absolutely not. Here's why. Uh, this is the problem. I have a lot of stuff here, a lot of goodies, and I get, I get them all mixed up. So, and this is some stuff. You, feel free to email our customer service at any time with any question. I'm just kidding. Don't do that. Uh, you can email them about, obviously, stuff like this. But TLR7, very small. If you go to the manufacturer's website, you can look at the dimensions. You can then check those dimensions against a TLR1 and quickly deduce that they are... Very different. 
So the problem is TLR7 is small, TLR1 big. Um, it's really not going to work. The gun is like literally falling into the holster and there is no retention at all. Is that actually in the holster? Technically, yes. Is that going to be effective and give me good retention as I do stuff? No. And when I go to draw, uh, I'm having to scoot past a bunch of the Kydex to actually get my hand on the gun. Oh, that's actually a fun fact about the sidecar. Man, this rain is literally doing a number to me. Uh, so when we designed this holster, something that I noticed a lot of holster companies uh, not focusing on was accessibility. They were designing a holster purely around concealment and carrying it, but not around accessing the firearm, actually like grabbing the firearm. If I'm actually having to get my firearm out, I probably want to do it pretty quick. Uh, maybe it's someone else's life's on the line or mine. So I wanted to ensure that you can get a full purchase on the gun, a full grip on the gun, and not have Kydex, material, clips, claws, anything in the way of actually grabbing the gun to establish that grip. I'm using a bunch of really fancy words because the gun industry likes fancy words. But um, that's what we wanted to do when we made our holster. And that's what we do for every holster. Like for this uh, Ragnarok right here, my big thing is I can get a full grip on the handgun pretty much no matter what. And I'm not going to be hitting material and stuff. Now, if you have banana fingers and you've got hands that are like Goliath or something, you may end up hitting some stuff because you are the 0.01%. And apologies, that's just how it is. It's You know what I'm talking about because you're probably buying like size 20 shoes and nobody ever makes those. So... Moving on, that's just something to talk about, but it's something that I think is really important that holster companies need to prioritize is actually building accessibility into their holsters because at the end of the day, the holster isn't just for carrying the firearm, it's for actually getting that firearm out and actually using it. So, moving on, Ragnaroks. I don't see any questions right off the bat. So, obviously the Ragnarok is a dedicated outside the waistband holster. It cannot be worn appendix or inside the waistband. I suppose you could somehow retrofit a clip to it and wear it backwards and then do a weird, if you're a lefty, you buy a right-handed one and you do this. I don't recommend it. Uh, please don't do that. Use it as intended as an outside the waistband holster. On the back of these holsters, there's a collection of little holes that you can use to attach different accessories. My favorite is the QLS. I do have a few examples here though. I have uh, two Ragnaroks here. So here's a Glock 17 Ragnarok with a standard UBL bolted to the side. So this is carry optics or USPSA legal. Uh, it's probably, I, uh, I don't know if it's IDPA legal. It's USPSA legal because the gun is X number of inches, millimeters to your belt. Um, but this is a really common setup that gets ordered. But honestly, the most common setup is actually a full QLS system. So I have standard here with the UBL. UBL with a thigh strap that helps prevent the holster from uh, bouncing away from the body on the draw, especially if I have a lot of retention. But then what you can do, if you want to get even more wild, uh, I was about to say, I don't think I have one here. I actually do. Um, you get a UBL with a QLS receiver, and then you get QLS forks on your holsters. And that allows you to interchange your holsters and swap around to, like in this case, this is a uh, Glock with an X300. So maybe I'm running an X300 because that's my normal thing. And then I can swap to my 226. So throw that in there. Now I can run my 226. I'm not having to unthread the whole thing from my belt. That's what's really nice about it. But the actual really nice thing about it is it actually adds some space between the gun and your belt. So you have, you're less likely to get cluttered and like have to scoot past your belt, like any material, anything like that. Gives you a little bit of offset. In my opinion, makes it a little bit faster, a little bit easier to get to. Only downside is now you are a little wider. So like doors and stuff, you can kind of hit them, but yeah, whatever. You can get around that, it's fine. 
you used to how big you are. But um, so that's a really popular setup. It's a UBL with a QLS holster on top. You can interchange them. And uh, if you're not using a lot of different guns, you may not need to spend the extra money on having that kind of a setup. Um, but I definitely like having that offset, even in competition, although it's not usually allowed. So when I shoot USPSA, which is like once a year, um, this is what I run right here. UBL, gun, just goes right in, and that's my carry optics setup right there. Granted, I have to take the Maglo off. So let's talk about it real quick. So I've got right here my Ragnarok with a thigh strap, which helps prevent, like I mentioned earlier, if I go to draw, generally speaking, if I have a lot of retention, uh, the entire gun can bow away from the body. And this obviously prevents, uh, causes problems because now I'm drawing the gun inwards to my body and it's just gonna mess everything up. So why a lot of guys wear a thigh strap is simply to keep the holster from, from moving. It allows you to get away with more retention on the gun and it allows for a more consistent draw. Now what's extremely stupid is thigh straps aren't allowed in competition because they're too tactical and too violent looking. I've seen emails from like the president of USPSA and it's stupid. They should allow them because lots of regular folks use thigh straps. It's not just for military SWAT, whatever. Like cowboys literally tied off their holsters because they had the same issue. Like it was a normal person thing to do. And nowadays it's seen as like some weird militaristic like thing. No, it's a thigh strap, it's a piece of fabric that keeps my holster from running around so I can have a consistent draw. It's really not that complicated or shouldn't be at least, but some people like to think it is. So thigh strap. Ugh, locked in. So now the gun will stay where it needs to be 99% of the time for that consistent draw. Timer, same thing. I'm going to do a draw. One press out there on that little thing on the wall from the holster. Big thing here is kind of the same thing I was doing with my appendix carry draw. I'm not trying to get my necessarily my full grip. I do float my thumb a little bit on the uh, back of the slide. And then I obviously build my grip right here where I would when I'm carrying appendix. The draw process from appendix to outside the waistband is actually generally, it's about the same. It really comes down to where am I building my grip? And that's about right here. And if I'm not doing anything with the gun, actively shooting, I'm about right here. So that's pretty much where I'm working from. So 80% draw, shoot that little thing right there. That wasn't quite 80, that was like 90, but 80. Gun, grip, and I'm set. So my hand is meeting the gun. Just like that. So my hand, oh yeah, the side view, this is perfect. This is perfect. Oh, this is great, I can aim it myself. Oh, this is great, I've got my monitor right here. Slow-mo, gun, hand moves up. Grip, builds. I'm digging my fingers into my, uh, my support hand fingers are dug into my dominant hand. I'm bringing the gun to my eyes, I'm not turtling, bringing my head down, just straight out like this. My goal is two shots from the draw, outside the waistband, hands relaxed at sides, seven five yards uh two rounds in under a second into an a zone target that is my standard so we're going to go 100 percent going off of i'll aim for myself kind of small yeah and that's good to go two rounds under a second that's what we're trying to do and the ragnarok as you can see is extremely fast you can obviously tune all the retention i can pull that holster off i can immediately be like okay what do i want to what do i want to do let's do a little x300 action Oh, that, yeah, it doesn't have an X300 on it. Um, um, I need a gun with an X300. I guess I can always add one. So, same gun. I could do an X300V. I could do an A. I could do another A, although the tension's usually tighter. So I'll do the B. Let's thread this guy on here. We'll be set. So, see how fast it was to interchange that holster? Now I have a new one. So now, same thing. Now I have a light. Nothing really changes. 
So, exact same thing. Light doesn't change anything, adds a little bit of weight, possibly a little bit of retention based on how you have your holster set up. But that's what I have going on. Now, let's talk about mag carriers, which is the real, I guess, I don't know, they're the really fun part because, you know, reloads are super cool. And if you execute, fun fact, if you execute a perfect reload, you can basically be a firearms instructor on Instagram. True story. So, we have the Mars carriers. These came out somewhat recently. Um, I wanted a mag carrier that was obviously extremely modular that would allow me to angle the mag carrier and let me do whatever I want with it. But it was also just like our Ragnarok built out of 125 Kydex, which is this extremely durable, massive Kydex that you can just like, do stuff with. Um, and that was a piece from the Blade Tech. But I wanted something that was super, super durable. I've never broken one of these. Um, I'm not aware of any of these that have broken. I think we've had two or three Ragnaroks break, and we've sold thousands of Ragnaroks. Um, our failure rate is super good on those, and our warranty is totally awesome, I might add. So you guys have probably experienced possibly some warranty or at least little things here and there, forgotten screws, things like that. But we have our Mars Carrier. We make them for different magazines, and we indicate on the bottom which model it is. This one is a uh, G model, so this will fit Glock mags. Also, uh, they have variable retention here with screws on the side. Um, I like setting mine up. So I'm honest, obviously on this belt, I've got this one angled slightly, although not as much as it could be. And then I've got this one angled uh, straight up and down. So that just makes it a little easier for me as I am going for my magazines as far as body mechanics, if you want to use a really fancy gun industry term, uh, but it just makes it a little more fluid. If I had all my mags straight up and down, it's going to, I'm obviously going to have to angle my hand in there super crazily. And then if I go to put on a plate carrier, obviously the plate carrier is going to start to hit the mags as well. And I've actually seen a lot of guys using our mag carriers and also the safari lands, but canting them aggressively in the front because they're wearing kit. And that's like green berets, rangers, Cops, SWAT dudes, like it makes a lot of sense. And it's a competition-y thing that some people be like, ah, that's dumb, like only cop shooters do that. But no, these dudes are literally doing it so they can be more mobile and like their kit's not affecting their other kit. The plate carriers aren't affecting their belt. It's more comfortable and their magazines are actually faster to reload from being at that aggressive angle. So what I can do, how aggressive is this one? Eh, it's not, I won't change it. What I could do because I use tech locks because they're totally awesome is I can actually interchange my gear on my belt very easily. I can pop this pistol mag carrier off. I can add, another, I can pop the rifle one off. I can add another pistol one. I can do three. Um, it just makes it really convenient to interchange stuff. I'm not going to talk about this belt, but uh, you've got belts like this, like the Ronin that allow you to interchange pouches. And in this case, I've got two Safariland MP5 pouches, one Mars carrier here at an angle, and I can always add more. So like this guy right here, you know what? Let's add another one because you can never have too much ammo. Put that on here. Lock in the tech lock, and I am set just like that. And I can just fill my belt. I can have mags all the way back to here, like a production shooter shooting 10 rounds. So basically they're in California. So let's go over some questions real quick. See what you guys are talking about. See if there's anything in particular. I know I'm forgetting things. I haven't done customer service in a long time. Otherwise I'd have more things coming to mind. So we'll see what we got. Do I ever carry in a bag? Only if it's a rifle. I don't carry in a bag. Um, so, uh, Drew Hopkins is in here. Good stuff. He's being a moderator. He's modding you guys. Um, uh, do you, yes, I put, so big thing is if you're running a Velcroable belt, kind of like this Ronin or competition belts out there, uh, a big problem is when you start stacking tech locks or other systems, if they don't have Velcro on them, now you're preventing the Velcro belt from engaging on your inner belt that you're wearing. So what I actually do is I get uh, adhesive Velcro and I cut little uh, pieces of it and I just add it to the back of the tech lock. 
makes a huge difference. It's probably something we'll have to sell in the future, uh, but you can go do that. I've even went into, a, I was on a, a work trip and I didn't have them on a couple of my Mars carriers or something. I can't remember what it was. So I went to Lowe's and they sold these little like circles, these little Velcroable circles for um, furniture, I think, it, or rugs, I think is what it was. And I just got those and just stuck them right on. They were the perfect size. So there's all sorts of cool stuff you can use out there. Um, and that's what you should do. Athletic carry. Um, there's a few options. A bag carrier is probably, a bag is probably a good idea for that. And at that point, here's the really fun thing. So here's my beef with bag carrier, bag carry, right? So you're, you're eliminating, excuse me, having the gun on your body. Now, obviously, if you carry a gun on your body, you're restricted in what kinds of weapons um, you can carry, like something like this. If you're resorting to carrying in a bag, there's no reason you can't have something this big if you're already carrying in a bag. But here's what I see. I see people going, ah, bag carry. I'll put my uh, Glock 43 in there. And I'm like, why are you putting your Glock 43 in the bag when you could get away with something better that shoots better, has more bullets, is more accurate, you can actually have a weapon light on? Like, why are you putting a tiny little gun in your bag? If it's the only gun you own, I totally understand, but I see people doing that and it's just, it's, it defies logic. Why would I put a small gun in a big bag if I can get away with a larger handgun? And that's what I would do. If I was carrying a bagged pistol, uh, it would be my, it would honestly probably be this guy, my Glock 34 and the X300. And uh, this guy right here, extendo clip. Or, if I wanted to get real wild, it'd be something like that. Because why not? I, I have the space now. I can't carry this on my body very well, but I can carry this in a bag, so why not? That's my beef with bag carry is, I think some people just really haven't thought it through. They just kind of throw their gun in, and I'm like, well, at that point, you could carry a CZ-75 or an M9 or a, even a suppressed pistol or something. So I don't know. I just I don't see that. Ryan Belts, I'm not sure when we're getting a restock. You can always email the guys and ask. Um, all these new, yep, yeah, competition belts have been around for a long time. Competition, here's the thing that people don't like to admit. Competition shooting has driven more shooting stuff than anything as far as shooting fundamentals and just raw equipment for shooting. Now, obviously, competition doesn't drive equipment for explosive breaching. It doesn't drive kit for doing some other task on the job, but it does drive kit and technique for just straight up shooting, straight up, just pulling the trigger fast, getting rounds on target, manipulating your gear, doing your reloads, whatever. Competition is awesome. And a lot of, it's gotten better. I remember six years ago when I started doing this, the disparity between uh, military tactical gunfighting type stuff and competition was a lot greater and it's getting closer and closer together and there's a lot of units that will contract out civilian shooters. I've been able to do some of that. It's been an awesome privilege to be able to do that, to actually help some of these units with their shooting because I shoot for 20% of my job, like all the time. And in the military, it's 1%. You know, high level competition shooters, that's 30% of what they do. That's what they focus on. They focus on shooting pistols. So units pay them to come out and help them shoot pistols. They don't have them help them shoot rifles because they shoot pistols. Um, and that's happened with gear, you know, like competition mag carriers, two-piece belts, you know, certain stuff on rifles. It's been driven by the competition community because the competition community is about shooting guns. And it just so happens that shooting guns is part of gunfighting because gun fighting, but people seem to forget that. It's kind of funny how that works. Glock 19, yes, as far as recommended pistol, if someone comes to us, we get emails all the time from people, what gun do I buy, what holster, blah, blah, blah. My recommendation, and I have it here on the table, is simply a, again, I have too much stuff on the table. 
you buy this thing right here, Glock 19, Gen 4, Gen 5, Gen 3, doesn't matter. If you're a lefty, I'd say Gen 5. Get this thing right here, $500, well, four something, to 600, something like that. Get this gun right here. We'll go buy a bunch of bullets. If you want to experiment with different ways to carry, I would recommend our Raptor holster. This will allow you to carry at four o'clock. Appendix, you can kind of play around. If you like appendix, then I would recommend buying a sidecar, which will give you that spare magazine. It's a little more optimal. It's got two clips, keeps it a little more stable, and it's a little bit more effective. There's other holsters out there you can try as well, but this right here, this is America's gun. I mean, it's not made in America. Well, I think some are now, but it's literally America's gun. It's the most popular handgun in America, just like the AR-15 is the most popular rifle in America. It's this guy right here. I recommend it 100%. Is it the best handgun ever? No, of course not. It's not as good as this guy right here, the Staccato P at certain things. But if you take all the little things, reliability, shootability, ammo, recoil, sights, customizability, if you take everything, it's like in a video game, you know, you got race cars, some are really good at this, but they suck at this. It's in the middle of everything. It's in the middle of reliability, cost, effectiveness, recoil, ammo, just like in a video game, it's like in a, in a shooting game, you know, it's in the middle. It's this lovely, balanced weapon that's awesome which makes it great for new people makes it great for good shooters as well and uh i just don't see a lot of people they think they can get the best gun for everything doesn't exist you're always going to sacrifice something but the glock is in the middle it's a nice little balance um uses for a glock 34 um Honestly, I really like shooting a Glock 34 with a red dot. Um, with iron sights, I'm a little bit faster with a 17 or a 19 because the sights are closer together. Uh, 34 is a little bit less recoil. You have a longer barrel, potentially more accurate, usually more accurate. Granted, most people aren't going to outshoot a Glock 19 barrel. Uh, they're not going to be that good uh, to outshoot a barrel. But uh, they're just really fun to shoot. I really like them. But my favorite gun is, if I had to pick one Glock, it'd be a 19. Uh, that's what I carry. I can shoot that in a match. I can do whatever with it. I can put it on my kit in a level two holster, uh, like my Safari Land. Um, Glock 17s are a good option too. 34s are a little more niche, I guess you could say, because it is a little bigger, a little harder to carry in some ways. But the 19 is the way to go. Would you guys ever make a two-piece belt? Um, moving on. Uh, <laughs> So Glock 19 or wait for PSA. Honestly, get a Glock 19. There's uh, PSA is working on a cheaper Glock 19 alternative, but unless you are straight up hard for cash or you're trying to buy a bunch of handguns to outfit random people potentially, just get a Glock 19. You'll probably have less problems than with an aftermarket product. It's just like with Glock magazines. There's ETS mags and then there's like P mags. There's a bunch of other mags on the market and they save you a couple dollars, a few dollars. I'm like, no, just buy the OEM mags. They don't have problems. A lot of these aftermarkets do. Just get normal mags. It's not like a 50% savings. It's not like a massive savings that's like, oh my goodness, it makes total sense. Like, no, it's like this much. And when it's this much, is it really worth it for potentially this much of problems? No, it's not. So unless you are really hard up for money, just get a Glock. Just get an OEM Glock, stock Glock. It's actually, this is the hilarious thing. You can actually buy custom built Glocks pretty cheap because usually they're hard to sell based on what modifications people do. Um, like you can go get a modded out armored Glock milled by some random company or whatever for usually pretty cheap compared to going and actually doing it yourself. My older brother did that, which is pretty funny. Um, he was actually, uh, was, was finding cheap modified Glocks. So if you're not too picky, I'm pretty picky. I recently bought this slide, paid a bunch of money because it's discontinued because I wanted 
I wanted one of everything, uh, 17, 19, 34. And now I have all three. I have the trifecta. But um, the uh, if you're not too picky, you can actually pick up a custom Glock for pretty cheap, which is awesome. Favorite RMR slide cut? I like Jaeger Works. Jaeger Works cut my uh, EDC gun, this one right here. And uh, it's, I mean, it's still going, you know? Uh, but I, I like them for slide milling. But I have Zev slides, which are obviously already built, um, like this one right here. And uh, they're good to go. Uh, where can you find Glock 19 new right now? Uh, we sell Glock mags on our site. Um, not sure if we have nine. Uh, I'm pretty sure we have 19 mags. I know we have a bunch of mags in stock. Uh, at least, seven. oh, but the best thing is, a lot of people don't know this. Other good thing about Glock. Glock. I think some of you guys know what I'm doing. So it comes with these magazines, right? 15 rounders. Doesn't stop me from running an extended 17. Doesn't stop me from running this guy. Doesn't stop me from running a standard, that's a 15, a standard 17, or this. That's a that's an extended, I guess. But that's the nice thing with Glocks. It doesn't matter which mags you go and buy. So here's what I would say. If you have a Glock 19 and you already have a 15 round mag, buy all of your other mags Glock 17s. You get two extra bullets. They're a little easier to reload because here's the issue. So. This is actually, we'll talk about this real quick. This is actually, this is pretty dope, right? So I have my sidecar. If I have a 15 round mag in here, I'm not gonna demo this, but there's a lot less magazine to actually grab on the reload. Like it's not as fast, it's not as consistent. That's why when I carry with my sidecar, I actually run a 17 with a plus two. This also squares off the top, so it fills the palm of my hand a little bit better than one of these angled mags, where it's literally angled in the wrong direction. So what I do is I run an extended mag. I get more bullets, it's easier to grab, it's more consistent than running a 15 rounder. There's no reason to do this, except for maybe potentially a tiny bit more comfort. So I would say run an extendo, run that extendo clip. Um, don't go and buy more Glock 15, like 15 round magazines if you've already got a couple for actually like carrying with. Buy everything 17s and extend them for awesomeness and also to trigger liberals. So go do it. Plus, we sell the base pads because we wanted to make it easy for you guys. We sell the OEMs. They're super cheap. Um, another reason to go ahead and buy them because they cost nothing. It's like 10 bucks or 9 bucks for an extended plus 2 plate. Um, and then the Arandondos are like 30 and they give you plus 5. So it's pretty awesome. Just like in a video game. It's like a perk in a video game. Now, why not have the extra bullets? You know? So, um, stock sites, fiber optics, or tritium. Um, fibers are cool. They can fall out. Uh, mine fell out on here uh, a little while ago. No idea when. I'm shooting with an optic, though. Um, the funny thing with the stock Glock irons is people are like, oh, they'll shear off their plastic. I haven't... I really don't see them shear off that often. Like I know the, the theory and the concept is there and I know a few people have, but they don't shear off as much as people say. Like I've never shorn off a set of Glock sights and I was actually working on a Glock a long time ago and I had to like pound those sights, like get them out and like bust them and like get rid of them. Um, they're not as fragile as people think. Um, so if you have stock sights, go with it. Like they're fine, they're sights. You put them together and you shoot and get your hits. Like it's not a problem. Um, if you want to make an upgrade to like a higher viz site, I uh, like Ameriglow eye dots. They give you a bright front sight post, a um, you know a silhouetted valley, and so you can be a little more faster on a hard target focus. And then they're also just a little, they'll be more durable, I guess, than stock sights. But I don't know by how much because the plastic lock sights really don't fail as much as people on the internet like to say they do. 
I don't see it at least, and I am around a lot of people that shoot and talk to a lot of people that shoot, and I just don't see it very much. Um, uh, what uh, iron sights running with the SRO? Uh, so these sights, they don't, they don't uh, on this guy, they actually don't uh, made up. Um, these are Zev fibers. Uh, so when I pull this dot off to shoot in like a, a match, because I'm shooting. Um, you know, three gun or something, which I do have a match in October. Um, I will actually have to pull this optic off and run irons and then install a fiber. So these are not actually co-witnessing with the dot. So please don't think that they are. They're not. Kimber. No. Uh, I, and I don't, I don't just mean Kimber as a company. I just mean like 1911s, they're really cool. The funny thing is, I don't know a lot of people that carry a 1911. It's a big, heavy gun that carries very few bullets, unless you get like something like this that's double stack. Like if I'm carrying all day, I'd rather not carry a gun that weighs as much as this. Like that's a lot of weight. And then you add an extra magazine. Like no, no, just get a Glock, something lightweight, a polymer, unless you're willing to carry the weight. The problem is people are like, oh yeah, I'll carry this gun. And they get it, they carry it for a couple times, and then they never carry it again, and it just sits. Like no, if you're gonna get a carry gun specifically for carrying, I'm just going to recommend getting something a little lighter, something polymer, polymer based, not a full steel gun, not even like uh, like this, you know, like an M9, like this with an X300 and an extended mag, like that's a lot of weight. So just something to think about. P365, actually pretty cool. I'll say the P365, they had some issues early on, is actually a pretty cool solution for a uh, double-ish stack gun. Um, but here's the thing about small guns. Even some of these little guns, like the Glock 48 and 365, where you can squeeze more bullets into them and carry 15 rounds or whatever, because it is a small weapon and it weighs not a lot, um, like it's very lightweight, it is a little harder to shoot because there's more recoil. That's why there is something to say about service guns like a Glock 17 or a 19 that are a little bigger. Um, like a Glock 19 literally shoots about as well as a 17. Recoil-wise, controllability, I get my full hand on it. Um, these little guns, they are a little harder, a little slower to shoot compared to larger, their larger counterparts. So round counts important. Like I, I think it's very important, uh, especially if you start looking at like body cam footage, CCTV footage, like dudes don't usually go down with just one round into them. Like it's like five, six, 10 more. And then you've got two assailants. So now you're looking at, well, maybe average five, six rounds per. And then you're looking at, are you going to have a hundred percent hit ratio? Are you going to have some misses? Are you going to keep shooting? And it's like, yeah, eight rounds may not work for a bunch of scenarios. It'll work for maybe this one, but it really won't work for this many scenarios that I might want to be prepared for. Um, round count's important, but also just the ability to actually run that gun. Like there's a reason these guns are chosen, you know, in law enforcement, in the military, uh, for, you know, slaying bowed, uh, because they're actually like shootable. Uh, they're very easy to shoot compared to a small compact firearm. So the question is, are you carrying a handgun out of uh, convenience? Or are you carrying it for capability is what the question comes down to. I think that's something that's really important. A couple more questions. Revolver. <laughs> no. Just throw it in your pocket. I thought that was the whole advantage of a revolver is you can throw it in your pocket and uh, it's got a 12-pound trigger so you don't have to worry about shooting yourself. I thought that was the point of a revolver. Why would you need a holster for that? I'm being facetious, but you get my point, kind of. <laughs> I like to have fun every now and then, okay? Uh, Hellcat. I uh, don't believe we're making holsters for the Hellcat. Hollow Sun, I'm actually getting some to test soon. Ragnarok, yes, we actually have one right here. Boom, good to go. Custom 2011s, no, because there's way too many, there's a lot of variation and we're not gonna do it. 
uh, VP9 TLR7. That's a very uncommon configuration, so you'd have to find a custom shop doing that. T-Rex really isn't a custom shop anymore. Not really in the sense of the word where we'll do anything. I remember when I started turning stuff down, it was pretty funny. I had this one guy who was like, no, you have said you make custom gear, so you have an obligation to make the holster for my XDM with a frame-mounted red dot and an NC star weapon light. And I was like, no. I, I, what I should have done is actually said, okay, $2,000. You send me the gun. I'll go to the FFL, do all the paperwork. $2,000 will make you your holster. Because it would have taken me about 10, 12 hours or something. And then he would have complained and said I was extorting him. So I just told him no. And it was pretty funny. It was like uh, five years ago. Wow, there's a lot of comments. I feel like Shroud. Um, it's, pretty, it's kind of funny. Um, good red dots run without getting suppressor height sights. Uh, the only one that I'm aware of is the uh, Shield RMS. Um, it's a British company. They make some really small. Honestly, they look kind of fragile, uh, but I haven't tested one. I've looked through one a couple times. Uh, that's one that's actually short enough, and there's a kind of a valley. You can run it with normal sights and get uh, some co-witness going on. Uh, but that dot is usually more specifically for compact guns, not like full-size guns. Uh, I'm not aware of any like standard red dot being made right now that will co-witness with uh, normal ones. The revolver holster was a joke. All right, cool. I still stand by my statement, though, regardless of it being a joke. Nova Belt. Yeah, Nova Belt's good to go for carry. Uh, I've used one for a long time. Yeah, I'm just like, yeah. Well, I hope I, 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 I think I talk a little more than he does. I'm not as good at gaming, though. He's way better. You know, I'd love to have him out to the range for a video. I think it'd be pretty cool. I think three days, it'd be really cool to see his processing between targets while um, doing stuff. I think that'd be really interesting after he's comfortable with firearms. Three days. Uh, P320, uh, it's actually not a bad handgun. It's pretty good. It's, if I had to pick, and I put my phone down, now I'm going to be less comments. If I, I want to do a video at some point, don't win, which is if I, if I didn't have Glock, what gun would I carry? And I think it's a toss up between a 320 compact or an MNP 2.0 carry, whichever Glock 19 size of both of those guns. I can't remember the model names because it's confusing. 320 or MNP 2.0. I think it's going to be a toss-up between one of those. And that's based on the shootability of the weapon, um, how easy it is to modify, what kind of modifications I can get for it, um, the magazines, just a lot of different uh, variables is, that I look for in a handgun. Um, it's gonna, it, It'll be between those guns, I think. It's not going to be a CZ. It's not going to be an HK. It's, not going, to be, it's going to be between one of those two guns. Um, so I'm actually going to try to go get one of every M&P because I actually don't own a lot of M&Ps. I have like one um, and then the shop has tons. But I want to go get the, they're like 34 length, they're 17, they're 19, all in 2.0 with optics, some without optics and start messing around with those. Because I have 320s already. I have like three or four. So um, P10, P10. No, nah, I'm not a, I'm not a, I like, so this is a 75. I like, I like the CZs, right? Like I think they're a lot of fun, but uh, I don't, I don't know. P10 beaver tail shape uh, didn't allow my thumb to go up very high, which was a little unfortunate. Um, so I shot it a little bit. I even had an RMR put on one, but I just haven't shot it since. It was a long time ago. I, I preferred the MMP and the 320. Yeah, you don't want to get the Glock MOS unless you have to. Um, it's better to go get milled stuff because the MOS has, the optic ends up being higher. You have to get different sites, tall sites. Uh, there's extra screws that can fail because you're doing screws for a plate and the optic goes on the plate. Uh, the MOS is just not as good as milling. Is your arms going to make a level two holster? I don't know. The reason I say that is there are a ton of patents. And the thing is, 
we could go and make a level two holster next week in a month. We could just do a little strap that like goes over the top or like something that technically makes it level two. And there's a bunch of companies out there that have actually done that, uh, smaller ones, but have just done a holster and been like, oh, it's a level two, but it sucks and it's not actually like shootable. It's not actually uh, gonna get very, uh, very much accessibility. My thing is I would only make a level two if it was extremely efficient, it was better than the ones out there on the market, or I could at least make more of them than what was currently available and get around all the patents that exist. And at this time, I'm afraid we are not doing those things and I don't have the solution for that. So what I recommend is this guy right here. It's Fireland ALS holster. You can buy them for like 60 bucks. You can buy them, this one, the 6354 DO for like a hundred something dollars. But it's got, in my opinion, the simplest, most consistent, intuitive active retention system that allows you to have that active retention for when you need it, but then get rid of that and draw the pistol pretty much like a normal holster. Uh, the downside to this holster right here is um, they're, they're, Safari Lands are a little hard to get um, as far as they don't, they're not making a lot of them right now, at least for the civilian world. They have contracts, a lot of contracts, so they could be a little hard to order and they take forever to get. Um, that's the problem. It takes me forever to get one. Um, and that's even knowing some people at Safari Land. Like, I can't even get Safari Land holsters very easily. I've had this one for a long time, and it's been spray-painted. It's a multicam one. I painted it. Uh, black spray paint. It actually looks really cool. But uh, this is what I recommend for level 2 stuff. If you are needing level 2 for something, uh, I run this for classes. If I'm working with a unit that is uh, issued these, I run the same gear they do. If, if, I've, if I'm with people that have passive retention holsters, I run passive retention. Uh, if I'm working with guys that have level two, I run level two. Level three, level three. Uh, I match their equipment down to their rifle, down to their optic if I can, and down to their handgun. If they got M9s, I got an M9. If they got Glocks, I got a Glock. If they got irons, I'm running irons. If they have a red dot on their gun, whew, I'm happy. Then I run a red dot. But uh, um, the, one of the last units I, I was with, uh, they did have red dots, so I got to run a red dot. I was really happy about that because I love red dots on pistols. It's so good. It's OP. Like, it needs to be nerfed. They need to nerf red dots on pistols, straight up. Like, they need to make the ADS time really slow. The ADS time on a red-dotted pistol should be like... Because it's it's OP. It's awesome. It stands for overpowered, for those of you that don't play games. So anyway, uh, are you making a holster for high point? Uh, <laughs> hmm. <laughs> It'd be actually really fun to do that, especially for their new one. So anyway, Cordero wrapped. We don't do Cordero wrapped, we used to. So, with all that said, guys, probably going to call this... Stream to a close on holsters. I know there's a bunch of things we didn't talk about. We've got all sorts of mag carriers. We've got a few other things. There's some things in the works, I will say, as you guys have probably noticed. Uh, T-Rex Arms is not going to be a company that is stagnant, that does not, isn't always producing or R&Ding something. Um, even if we're not like super actively trying to launch a product, we are doing something inside of the company to make it easier to acquire a product, have more inventory, ship faster, um, a lot of products get shipped next day, some same day. Um, there's systems we're always trying to improve, but there's also right now we're in a phase of massive product development of entirely new products in areas we don't already touch, uh, holsters, new things and changes and stuff. Um, the problem is we're months out from launching some things and we're even more months out on other things. And I don't like that because I can't talk about them. And you guys know that I'm the king of hype and leaking. So it's hard for me to sit here and have cool stuff 
and uh, literally over there and over there and over there and I can't say anything, show them. And uh, it's it's hard. It's probably it's probably the hardest thing about this job is not talking about the cool stuff going on. But there's really cool stuff going on. We're not going to be that company that does a cool thing one year, is known for it, is known for it for a couple years, and then just sits there and does nothing. T-Rex Arms will never be that company. We're not going to allow that to happen. And that was our thing early on was we're not going to be that stagnant company that rests on its laurels of doing one product. We're going to constantly improve, change things, be better, and uh, yeah, see what happens. So... With that said, guys, thanks so much for tuning in, and I will see you guys probably next week. Catch you guys around.